This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Jedi, you are surrounded. Your army is decimated. Make peace with the Force now, for this is your final hour. <coughs> hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time, or in this case, uh, one TV series. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? Very well. I'm definitely excited to start talking about the Clone Wars. I think this is one of my favorite just uh, eras in uh, Star Wars history. Me too, mainly just because of like how flushed out it was able to be, you know, just so much coverage. We got, you know, this, this micro series and the full series, and then we get bits and pieces of it in uh, two of the prequels. And that's not to mention, you know, all of the abundance of games that covered the era. There's, mm -hmm. I've got a lot of fond childhood memories covering this. Battlefront uh, 2. The right Battlefront 2. Yes. Um, so this uh, last week we talked about Attack of the Clones, and now we are obviously moving into the, the Clone Wars TV shows. And tonight we will be doing the entire 2D animated Clone Wars show uh, from 2003 and 2005. But before we begin our discussion on that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook. And before we begin the main discussion, James, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this show came to be? So, uh, following the release of Attack of the Clones, Hasbro had actually asked Lucasfilm to create an animated series that could bridge the gap between episodes two and three, primarily, uh, pretty much um, because of toy sales, you know, to, for, for Lucasfilm, the benefit would be that it would um, kind of boost excitement, not that it, well, maybe it did after Attack of the Clones' reception. But to kind of generate excitement um, for that episode as well as, like I said, increase uh, toy sales. And I, I did that because of how many new characters we got to see. There's a, a lot of characters we meet in uh, the next Clone Wars series as well as Revenge of the Sith itself that originate here. So uh, they had a lot of new faces to sell. Uh, Cartoon Network, which is actually where the series would air, recommended Gendy Tartakovsky. Uh, who had just previously finished the acclaimed series Samurai Jack, which is a great show. Um, Tartakovsky pitched the show with having kind of a Band of Brothers feel to it, where it would, um, his quote is, it would have a Band of Brothers feel to it, where it's episodes of different battles and strategies during the Clone Wars. Uh, originally, it was going to be one minute in length, but Tartakovsky uh, was able to talk them into going three to five minutes, at least for this initial season. Lucas, during the development of the prequels, he realized that the way he wanted to tell the story of Anakin, um, it pretty much only allowed him to show the beginning of the Clone Wars and then immediately the very end. Um, so he wouldn't, or he was disappointed that he wouldn't get to show this whole conflict that he had built up in his mind in the films. And so he went along with this idea for his own sake, to really be able to flesh out this era that he wanted to be able to. Uh, and he, he so he gave uh, Gandhi basically an outline of the, what the major events in the Clone Wars would look like, but then he gave him pretty much free reign to tell the stories how he wanted to tell them. Um, and you can tell this doesn't... This, there's definitely a very unique 
feel for, for good or ill in this series. You can definitely see a Tartakovsky's uh, flavor. Most of the series was animated in hand-drawn 2D, with the exceptions of the spaceships, which were computer animated. It's just it's very difficult in 2D to, to create rigid shapes. It just it kind of wants to like warble and move when you uh, whenever you have any kind of movement. So they had to create those in with a 3D animation, then put them back into the 2D image. So as far as casting went, um, voice actor Matt Lucas uh, was hired to voice Anakin Skywalker. Um, very prolific voice actor James Arnold Taylor was hired as Obi-Wan Kenobi. He would actually later go on to uh, reprise that in the 2008 Clone Wars series. For the character of Asajj Ventress, uh, the actress Grey Delisle was given the role. Um, Tom Kane, who again is like just this very prolific voice actor, um, was hired to play Yoda, and again he would play Yoda in the 2008 series. Um, same for Corey Burton, who would play Count Dooku. Um, for the character Palpatine, Nick Jameson was brought on. Um, and then to introduce everyone to General Grievous, Richard McDonagall was hired. Though he sounds nothing like he would later sound like. But who, who is Mace Windu? The, the guy they got sounded a lot like uh, Jackson. Uh, oh, sorry. I think uh, that was Terrence T.C. Carson. Um, I actually believe he he as well went on to the 2008 series, but I should go ahead and confirm that. Actually, uh, it is a different actor. So yeah, it's uh, it, Terrence Carson did the voice for Mace Windu only in this 2003 micro-series. Okay. I agree, it's a very good impression. So it was originally going to be two seasons made up of... Uh, 23-minute episodes. Season 1 was aired uh, from November 7th to December 4th in 2003, and Season 2 from March 26th to April 8th in 2004. And they were so successful, they decided to make another season of five 15-minute episodes that aired between March 22nd and 26th in 2005. Um, basically, I think roughly around a month before Revenge of the Sith. And the ending of this leads directly into the opening of Revenge of the Sith. They were really trying to uh, intentionally bridge the gap there. With season with, with season three, they're really it seemed like they were very intentionally trying to adapt the uh, the opening crawl to take us right up to the to the opening moment. Things like C three PO's gold plating or Mace would do force crushing uh, General Grievous's chest were kind of thrown in last minute to give those. Uh, last-minute tweaks that needed to get the uh, story up to speed with the film version. They originally considered season one and two to basically be commercials. You know, they're only three minutes long each. But with uh, season three, they really uh, wanted to try and tell more ambitious, character-driven stories. Um, they also realized that the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, which was established in Attack of the Clones and the first two seasons, was actually really antagonistic and not very friendly. It didn't match up with what we see in the opening of Friends of the Sith, where they're actually, you know, they have a really good friendship built. So they had to kind of turn around on that in, in season three and really try to make them, uh, give them a, a much stronger friendship and sense of, and, uh, and sense of camaraderie. Do you remember your first time seeing the series, James? And, uh, what has your relationship been with it like over time? So I, I remember when it was first advertised, um, I was so excited, like the Star Wars cartoon show looks like Samurai Jack, which I absolutely loved as a kid. Um, I never 
knew going into it that they were only going to be three to five minutes. And so I was like hyping it up, like as a little kid, you know, when you get excited, because at this time I was eight years old. Um, I was like hyping this up to my family, like, yeah, I'm like, I can't do anything tonight because there's a new <laughs> Star Wars show coming on. And, like, pretending it was this huge ordeal. And I think one of my older sisters actually sat with me to watch the first episode. And I was like, all right, this is going to be pretty great. And so it it starts and I'm like, I'm, I'm into this. This is cool. And then it ends. <laughs> and after it, there's this Pokemon movie that I remember came on afterwards. And I was like, okay, I think this that was just like a prologue. This is the real um, thing. And then I realized it was Pokemon. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what? So then I, I went over, had dial-up internet so i had to wait like 10 minutes to to look anything up but found out it was this five minute series and just man my world came (laughs) crashing down and i think that was the only episode i saw because i was just so heartbroken Um, and so i actually haven't seen it like in full ever until recording for this episode okay um I, i i do remember uh back long time ago people talking about this and really liking it had friends who were really big fans of it um and then over the years you know people seem to be pretty uh fond of this show i actually did not see it till last year after i i I think i'm pretty sure i'd already completed the entire cgi clone wars and kind of as a completionist had to go back and watch this and i liked it uh but it was like, yeah, this is kind of nothing compared to the CGI show, and the, the second viewing for the uh, this episode, I'm kind of in the same boat. I like a lot about it. I think it's it's kind of entertaining, but it doesn't it doesn't really amount to much for me as far as like as a piece of Star Wars as you know as a fan of all this stuff as a piece of Star Wars as a chapter in the, in the saga. It just feels very insubstantial and kind of just there you know i just watched less than a week ago and it feels to be kind of just slipping out of my brain even now like it's going to be hard (laughs) difficult to talk about but i do want to kind of qualify that i'm probably not the most uh qualified person to be talking about this because i i don't actually watch animated tv shows i've i think the only one i've ever actually seen is uh rick and morty like i've never seen any other animated tv shows so for me it's always kind of jarring going to them because you know obviously the animation is so much cheaper all my reference point for 2d animation is like disney films and so going to this it's just like all i can think of is looks so cheap and beyond that it's i think this is just an entirely different mindset you have to have like kind of the expectations of story and writing and structure that you would bring to other shows or even, even the, the CGI Clone Wars show are, just aren't here. They literally are, you know, these five minute shorts to highlight cool action and sell toys and to hype people up. And I, I you know, I always talk about setting aside your expectations and trying to experience a show in, in the way that the creator intended and simply looking at this as for you know what did Lucas and Gendy Tartakovsky intend to get across with this, I think it was it, it, I think it was very successful, and I think the the 
the huge fan base it has and the fondness with which people remember it speaks to that. That said, I don't get a lot out of this series. And I realize a lot of that's personal taste. I mean, we'll, we'll get into all of that. So just just keep bear all that in mind. And if you love the show, take all of my criticisms with a grain of salt. With that qualifier, let's move into our discussion. Um, I guess we'll just kind of run through the seasons as they came. So season one uh, kind of had a bunch of different stories running running through it. Um, uh, first, you have uh, Obi-Wan leading the assault on the banking clan in on Mjolnist uh, with arc troopers and the crazy tentacle monster or whatever. And then Kit Fisto is on Mon Cal... Mon, is it Mon Cal... Cal, Cal, Cal I can't remember it. <laughs> Mon, Mon Calamari? Calamari? Okay. Something yeah. like that. Uh, against, Very original. Yeah, against the uh, Quarren and Separatists. And then you have Dooku testing Ventress. And then there's a space battle. It's just like... That, that's kind of one of my, my issues with this is you there there actually is a very strong central story running through season one and two it's just the, the sequencing of episodes is so is so weird that you're constantly putting like different other stories in between the main story even though they're taking place at different time periods so like when you actually step back and look there's actually a really cool story of Dooku and Palpatine creating Ventress to test Anakin I think that's I think that's great but it's like in between that you're going to Kit Fistu and then you're going to like training Ventress even though that should have happened months before this and it's just the, the storytelling is really odd and, uh, and so then and it kind of leads directly into season two which is Anakin pursuing Ventress to Yavin 4 and then a boy watching Mace Windu battle legions of joys on Dantooine and then Master Luminar and Barris Ophi who are are at the Jedi Temple and attacked by invisible droids, and then Yoda and Padme come in to help them. And then Grievous uh, fighting Kiyadi Mundi, uh, Elisikar, and Shakti on Hypori. And, you know, kind of all these things are happening concurrently. Um, let's just kind of walk through um, the stories as they came. What do you, what do you think of the uh, the first uh, story uh, with uh, Obi-Wan on Mjolnist? I wasn't a huge fan. <laughs> um... Yeah, I. This episode may be for for people who love this show. I I was not really into. I think one of my criticisms of this is that, and you you actually said this when we were messaging. I think a few days ago, where it's the action always starts at eleven, and it never flows. It's just, and it, it's even just beyond action. It's just scale. I think the reason I couldn't really get into this initial sequence is just because whenever we just start off right off the bat with like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of droids versus thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of clones and the camera's just panning across like building after building it like it's just mm. the whole thing just looks like visual noise to me so just visually which is weird because i like i said i love samurai jack i love the way that show looks the action there is ridiculous and over the top, but like it's just like the one lone samurai against the world, and it somehow makes this like action really work there. Uh, but yeah, visually, I wasn't really into it, and uh, also I feel like the the context for the battle feels like this episode just starts and then here here it is. Like we're not really told why we're here, what the purpose of like that's kind this of the whole is. show. 
<laughs> the three minute episodes. They don't, don't have time for that. Yeah, I almost wish there was just almost a. And again, I, I don't want to judge this. I, I want to look at this like, as if I'm reviewing it in 2003 because I think it'd be completely unfair uh, to do it otherwise. But I almost wish they had an idea like they did in 2008 where you, you have this quick voiceover that sets the stage in a very efficient and fun Star Wars-y way. But yeah, for this, this assault on the banking clan, it's just the voice acting of the banking clan, like aliens, is pretty horrible. <laughs> um, I as a huge fan of clones, hate that they have American accents. Um, <laughs> I really don't understand that. And I don't know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of just ha- having so little dialogue throughout. Um, because you, because this, the action seems like there's no flow and you're not really watching a battle pr- progress, you can't tell a story visually that way. Uh, you get moments where you can tell what's going on, but... Anyways, yeah, that's <laughs> that's my disjointed thoughts on that first set. Okay, where to go from there? <laughs> so yeah, I I do agree about the action that it, there's very little sense of flow. It feels like you know it, it's just awesome, crazy moments and awesome, crazy moment, and then just stuff happening. All all the, the explosions are like this reddish purple color, and. He must love Tartakovsky. Must love this because everything explodes, and it just it, and they're all the same color. It, it does get very kind of monochromatic. But but back to some positives, I I think there are just the, these things are filled with I think great little moments and just with the kind of having fun with the characters and like putting little quirks into them. Uh, I, I do like the uh, the part where the uh, the uh, art troopers crash land in the city. They're just so exaggerated. They're, they're not talking at all, and they're just doing these crazy exaggerated hand motions <laughs> and this really fun clacking sound design as they're moving around. It's just there's there's a lot of personality to it um, that makes it kind of kind of enjoyable to watch, even though there's really nothing no story to connect to. Uh, then there's there's another cool moment I think with the the light with the. Uh, who who is the tentacle monster guy? Like I read somewhere that he's a bounty hunter, but I, I guess he doesn't really feel like one. Whatever, whoever he is, I, I don't even know. I don't even know his name. But this, when he first comes out, I thought it was. I thought I was like, sure, that's Grievous, and he's gonna get injured and have to be made into a robot later on. But apparently that didn't happen. Uh, so yeah, then they come out and they're like in cavalry formation with lances, and then kind of flanking the um the the artillery. And that was just like cool tactics and even though it makes no sense in star wars it was kind of fun to see but it's also it, you know it's just i think once they come out charging like cavalry you realize this isn't star wars i'm watching this is kind of this is star wars fan fiction and i think overall the battles work better when viewed as star wars fan fiction rather than actual canon yeah that's that's pretty much how i watched it and i guess to be more positive you know, like there there were a lot of cool moments um I I mean I love James Arnold Taylor as a, as a fan of the 2008 one. It's great to hear him oh, yes. as Obi Wan here. Uh, his interactions with the clones, and even though I do complain about the clones lacking their awesome accent, there is something really funny about the way they're portrayed here, where they're just so matter of fact and like oddly like with a, like a slight positive like positivity about everything like. Oh, we were just saying, I guess I made a mess, and the clones just saying, yes, sir. <laughs> That's not one of ours. No, sir. Was that Anakin? Yes, sir. What is he doing? I don't know, sir. 
It's just like really fun dialogue back and forth. Yeah, and and you can't really say that that's that's not how clones are, because at that point all we really did have was Attack of the Clones, and I don't I don't think we were really given that didn't show off the way they behaved too well. So for them to kind of carve out this identity for the clones here was was pretty fun, and I I did enjoy their interactions. Yeah, um, and I don't know what the tentacle monster thing is and it's weird and I don't like it and it bothers me and that's all I want to say that's all I want to say about it um, it feels like like a Resident Evil monster or something I, I also I do really enjoy um, was it James Arnold Taylor his name mm-hmm. yeah I think he, he he's not doing a straight up impression of Guinness but he still has that kind of poise and charm that even though he sounds very distinct and different he feels like Obi-Wan or at least, you know, prequels yeah. era Obi-Wan. Um, I, I know our conversation is really disjointed, but the series is so disjointed. So I'm going to, I'm just going to cover these and we'll discuss moments. Then I'm going to come back, circle around and try and talk about the actual story behind all of this. Um, next one is uh, Kit Fistu on Mount Mon Calamari. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just say it, James. Mon Calamari. That. Uh, he's fighting the Quarren and uh, Separatists. And, this is actually kind of this is something that comes back as a, a, a nice long story arc in the, the CGI Clone Wars. Um, here, it's very short. Um, it's just they basically fight a bit, and then this super weapon comes out, and then they blow it up, and that's all we see of the storyline. Although it is, I, I still don't understand lightsabers underwater. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But whatever. Yeah, this kind of has something to do with what we mentioned earlier, where like just to enjoy this, you really have to look at it as fan fiction, and I think. It works better when you look at it like that, but for me, it's hard for me to put myself in a mindset. So I think a lot of my criticisms with it and lack of overall enjoyment is just how different it feels from this series. Like the idea of him, like as a Jedi, wishing around underwater, like I, I'm guessing using the Force to just swim at these insane speeds. He is amphibian. That's true. I guess I guess you could chalk it up to that because my mind just goes, you know, Obi Wan and uh, Qui Gon swimming on Naboo, and like they they seem to operate like regular people. But it, that may have been it. But like you also just lightsabers underwater, uh, underwater, underwater feels weird, and it definitely it almost feels like it makes the force like a projectile that you can shoot. Like the fact he's creating these. Yeah, not to interrupt you, but I I, I think that was high density water he was like creating circles of water crushing it down and then shooting it like a bullet i think that's the, i think that's the idea okay well you thought about it a lot more than i did i thought it was just like it it looked as if he was just at least the way i saw it was like he's creating like these pockets of air and shooting it but i may be completely off i don't know it, it doesn't it doesn't really say what it is i was just kind of going off the sound design uh, then a storyline that I actually I do like a lot is um, Dooku test or you know discovering Asajj Ventress and then testing and training her, then sending her off to uh, tr- to fight Anakin. I think like, this is this is actually the, where it actually becomes a story, and the, the the happenings are very sequential, and you can follow follow what's going on. Where he he goes and then watches her in gladiatorial games, and as far as I can tell. I think those gladiatorial games were already happening. I, I don't think they were staged for him. I'm not sure exactly how that goes, but 
like she she goes in, defeats everybody, then he fights her, and they do force lightning and just bunch of just cool Sith training stuff. And I think she's kind of a fun character, just this like evil, hateful woman who just wants to destroy everything. And yeah, I like it. Yeah, again, like I guess the obvious criticism would be that she's using the force in a way we don't really see it like she's running around like she's the flash <laughs> at certain points but the persona she has is really cool like her design is really visually striking and memorable and iconic enough to you know to warrant bringing her back i, I love her introduction how the camera just it feels kind of cinematic for a cartoon how the camera just pans in on dooku and then he says his line where he's you know like impressive but i'm looking for a uh, a warrior not an assassin or something like that and the camera pulls back and it's her there mm-hmm. uh, or and, and, he, and he says my uh my host would be impressed as well post-mortem and then we pull out and it, and you see that it's her sitting there now uh that that was a really cool touch to me and there's a there's a bit of interesting discussion about what it takes to be a sith um like, you know, she comes in and claims, like, I am Sith. And he's like, well, a bold claim, but whatever. I forget what he exactly says. But they, there's kind of discussion between him and her and him and Palpatine about what does it take to be a Sith. It seems to be something more than just devotion to the dark side. And and I don't know that's ever flushed out, but I think it is, it is interesting that the it's it's a taking the conversation to a place that we've never seen before in Star Wars. Yeah, and... It it almost makes me wish that this was one of the things that they were able to talk more about whenever they got lengthened episodes, because some of those con- like the conversations he has with Ventress and with uh, Grievous to me are some of the more interesting parts of the whole series. Um, and yeah, just his conversation like if you were a true Sith, would we would we still be fighting? Like whatever his line is there. Um, but to, it is kind of cool to have a glimpse into this culture that we really don't get to see very much of um and then the final part in season one is anakin flying around in space um blowing up things uh and there's one weird technique that he does is where like he'll kind of go from a side view and it's almost like a video game where they're kind of like a side scrolling video game or pinball almost where they're just flying in between in and around the ships and eh, it looks kind of fun there's some cool moments where like he he takes the friendly missiles and then leads them through the enemy hangar. They blow up from the inside. Just little cool moments. Not a lot there, but it's some fun stuff. Season two is basically opens directly out of this with that. Adventure shows up and then Anakin pursues her around and you have, you know, where Obi-Wan forbids him to follow then, but he does anyway. And it, it does really feel like they kind of hate each other. Like before the battle, uh, you see where Anakin's working out a ship and Obi-Wan walks up. was like, yeah, you're not ready for this. You shouldn't be doing this. See ya. Good luck. <laughs> just walks off. It's like the worst mentor ever. And in here, you obviously see that Anakin is just really sick of Obi-Wan and only wants to, um, I think he also kind of wants to impress him, but he also is just is like, I'm going to kill this person. I don't care what Obi-Wan says. And he, you know, he, he flies off by himself and everyone has to send his, uh, the art troopers after him. And then you that kind of, with that, you go into the, Yavin 4 section, which is probably my favorite part of the entire series, uh, where you have Anakin and uh, the art troopers fo- trying to searching for Ventress in the, on Yavin 4, and she just goes around and kills all the troopers, 
it's really, really brutal because she like Forrest picks them up and just like smashes them against trees, and you see like little bits of armor flying around. It's, it's like really violent. Um, you know, for a show that's generally pretty kid friendly. Um, you know, obviously it's war; it's all violent, but there's something incredibly visceral about the way she murders all the clones. Yeah, just to talk about like that whole sequence from start to finish. Uh, one of the moments of action that I really do like in the series is is there a chase through uh, Mulanus. A lot of the time, the show feels like weightless, um, and like just this huge scale doesn't really make it feel tangible. But there was something about this chase that I thought was really cool and cinematic. Like they were somehow able to really sell the weight of the ships. Um, and give the whole chase a sense of depth. That's that's really cool to see in this 2D animation. But like the way they just fly past Obi Wan <laughs> and maneuver around these buildings, like it's it looks like pretty cool for the the kind of animation it is. Yeah, I I love that visual as they fly by. I mean, you see him kind of get pulled a little bit, and his hair's flying, his cloak flying everywhere, and it just kind of keeps happening. And he has this really grumpy face on. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty fun moment. Uh, but like you, I I do think his. The, everything on Yavin 4 is like the highlight and one of my favorite things is that the way the force is used there to me like the litmus test for like if if I'm really fully enjoying this action and be like can I imagine it live at live action and still looking cool and here like I almost wish that th- we could see mm-hmm. this scene in live action because of how like you said like visceral and um, violent it feels where it's just it's almost like like from the perspective of the clones, it's terrifying. Everybody's just constantly like being flown around, bashed up against trees, their armor's breaking all over the place, and uh, Anakin hears the scream, and there's just a clone being dragged across the, the wooded floor, and it's just, there's lots of cool moments like that. Or when he sees the, the clone by the spaceship, and he kind of goes to call out to him, and then just it blows up. Yeah, and Anakin actually cares a lot more i think a lot more about his troops than probably any other jedi and you can you definitely see him getting angry about it and he basically the rest of the fight is him trying to avenge them on ventress and i i i guess we should kind of talk about the entire overall story of the two seasons which is in the opening you have palpatine basically overriding the jedi's authority and, and making sure that anakin is the inch command of the space battle over Mulnist. And then the other story you have Dooku um, recruiting Ventress. And it's really obvious that they only want her as a tool to test Anakin. Like they, they really could not care less about what she has to offer them. She, she's her only purpose is to, you know, come in, be trained and go either kill Anakin or have him kill her, which proves that Anakin would be a worthy future apprentice. And so that, you know, the, the we have like little bits of that story. It's not very clear. I, I didn't even realize this till coming out of it and think, sitting down and thinking about it. But yeah, you have from the very opening where Palpatine in, makes sure that Anakin is in that place at that time. Then her taking the oven for it. It's all kind of, there is definitely a story where he has to go fight her. Then he, I think he turns, actually turns to the dark side for a while while fighting her to actually finally defeat her. And, and you know, it's, it's a great, great little story. And, uh, does a lot to develop Anakin's character as he's slowly moving to the dark side. Um, I kind of wish, I just wish the, uh, that was more focused on like 
that is a really good story, but it's only like it, it's so loosely connected and, and intercut with kind of side plots that don't get Mon Calamari. Yeah, Mon Calamari or, or yeah, you know, that don't go anywhere. That it's just it's really hard to follow and doesn't leave much of an emotional impact. Like the 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 the, the duel on Yavin 4 alone is incredible. The you know the lighting, the the way the force is used and, and, and it, it helps that it's it's so focused. And the rain. I love how the rain is sizzling on the uh, light too. Like, beautiful so sound design. And as they're fighting, it makes me wish that we saw something like that, like in Attack of the Clones, yeah. you know, and and Camino. Yeah, and as they're fighting, each one like she's lit by the red lightsaber. He's lit, lit entirely in blue by his lightsaber. And then when he loses his lightsaber, and she comes and she he catches her, and he pulls her in. And then he becomes lit red by her lightsaber, and you like see him going to the dark side. And he just kind of goes completely berserk on her, and dry, and you know basically breaks the cliff off on underneath her. And I'm assuming she was supposed to be have been killed in the original plan, but and he just he screams and like it's it's just great character storytelling all without dialogue. And, and I kind of wish that you know, I, you know, I I hate when people say this is what I wanted the story to be. But this is this is kind of what I wanted. I wish the series was. Because you know, it, it shows that they are capable of giving us good stories with good character arcs and good character moments and actual actual intrigue and you know twisting, turning plots and whatnot. But they don't, <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you know, I talk about how there's some action here. A lot of the action here, I'm just not impressed with or care for. But that sequence is fantastic. You, it looks like a duel. You know, there's moves that you see like they, it looks like they're attacking and countering. It, it's not too. It's not too much of like the anime extreme of like, I mean, the, the jumping from tree to tree is probably you know it gets pretty crazy. But it's like on top of that uh, temple thing or wherever they're at, that's all very much like a classic Star Wars duel. And, and yeah, the fact that you can use lighting so well like that and this two D animation is really cool. And a moment that I loved is whenever Anakin has Asajj like down and he's just beating her with his lightsaber to me my mind instantly went to luke coming down on vader in return of the jedi where it's just blow after blow after blow like both hands on the hilt bringing it down as hard as you can um it felt like a like an intentional parallel and it, it just really worked i'm sure it was and that whole and, and the the you know the scream at the end like it's cool how in only at this point I don't know if you're watching it all together. We're probably not even very far in the whole series, um, but we've got this really cool foreshadow for Anakin and, and who he's going to become. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was an intentional um, kind of sh- uh, mirroring because later on they have the scene where he goes into the the force sensitive cave and it's very similar to um, Dagobah. Yeah, the Dagobah scene where Luke confronts Vader, and here he kind of. Ke- he confronts his destiny, and and you see kind of a prophecy on painted on the wall of what what he becomes. So I think yeah, I think they they definitely were trying to parallel the two the two stories. Yeah, and Qui Gon even you know pretty much quotes Empire Strikes Back whenever he asks what's in there, and he says only what you take with you. Qui Gon looks so weird. <laughs> the nose is half of his face. I guess so. For the rest of the stories, you have um, the little boy watching Mace Windu kill billions of droids on Dantooine. This one bothers me so much. It's like, it's like, why did the Jedi need 
armies. All, like he single-handedly kills thousands of droids, and he has like these force push. He can push hundreds at a time, and he's he can punch. How is he punching metal? It makes no sense. I don't like it, James. Yeah, and what makes it more frustrating is that it's a fan favorite. Like, people go crazy over this episode. And I, I'm with you. I just, I don't really like it at all. Mainly because I can't, you know, I can only go so far in thinking, you know, like, this isn't canon. Well, although it was canon at the time. But think like, this is, there's artistic license being taken. There's this and that. That only gets you so far. But, like... You, you know, like, little in-the-moment things. Like, if a character jumps super high, and it's like, oh, they couldn't jump that high in the movie, but it's, it's whatever. Like, little moments like that, okay. But I think we're still led to believe that events happen the way that we see them. And so, this show is telling us that, yes, one singular Jedi is capable of taking out a literal entire army of droids. And yet, he's... And what's so funny, like, he punches so fast... <laughs> Again, it's it's like watching the Flash, um, and the sound design of him. Why like, is he punching metal? Yeah, he's punching metal and it's falling apart, and it sounds like a machine gun. Like the sound design made me laugh because it was like, bah, 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 bah. like what is this? And then like for, like very targeted force push where he's like force pushing the top of the heads off, and all of it. It's just so weird. And he's he is jumping like five hundred feet in the air and twisting and twirling and everything and. I'm thinking, like, this is supposed to follow the events of Attack of the Clones, where, like, a band of, like, 30 Jedi were cornered by an army about one-tenth of this size, and they were all armed with lightsabers for the entire... Like, you you can't put the Star Wars name on something, claim you have artistic integrity, and then just completely, you know, violate everything that Star Wars tells us about how action is head like the thought in my head for almost the entirety of this whole sequence is just that's not how the force works because <laughs> it's just i don't know yeah and the and the action honestly isn't even you know if it was amazing i would kind of understand why people are like oh this is such a standout legendary moment but i mean it's just shots of here's here's a shot of him extending his hand and like a whole bunch of droids falling down and here's another shot of him jumping and it's, there's there's no flow of the battle. We don't know really what's going on. You can rearrange anything happening in any order, and it's not really... I mean, other than the fact that, you know, he loses his lightsaber, and that's why this happens, and then he's able to get it back here, but... And, and to make matters worse, the, the, the Separatist weapon makes no sense. Like, you're destroying your own army. Like, I guess it's like this giant piston that slams into the ground, creates this land tsunami. And the visual and the sound design of this like tsunami of land coming at him and hurling him around is pretty cool. But the weapon makes no sense because they're they're literally destroying their own army. For what? And just the fact that they're supposed to buy that this there's a weapon that is this huge that can like the actual ship is like barely even bigger than the piston they're shooting to the ground we're supposed to why they're able to create the whatever <laughs> i guess arguing stars mechanics isn't going to get you very far but just like the entire time watching this I'm like this weapon makes no sense the way they're using it makes no sense i don't like it whatever yeah i kind of like the weapon itself <laughs> like yeah i think the visuals and the sound design is cool yeah, the sound design is really cool and i do i love how uh his cloak gets progress, progressively 
tattered as the uh, fight goes that on. Was cool. And it's just like there's great little touches, and I love just the way he he has a little scowl and he kind of looks both ways. It's, there's fun little stuff in there, but overall, I don't I don't like what this does to the Jedi, and I don't it doesn't make much sense as a battle either. Yeah, and I mean you're destroying. And again, it goes back to my original complaint about lack of context. It just feels like we're thrown into this. What is he doing here? Why is he here? How is this army here? What are the goals? Why are they sending this entire army for one Jedi? What's going on at <laughs> all? Like, I would like to know at least one detail about any of this, but there's just nothing. All right. And then uh, another another story is uh, Master Luminara and Darius Ophi are in the temple constructing her lightsaber, which I think which is pretty cool as another thing that uh, the CGI show brought back. I mean, both their characters, but also the uh, the Kyber Crystal Mountain. Um, and she's saying something like she has this mantra. She's saying it makes absolutely no sense, but whatever. Uh, Most of what the Jedi say doesn't make sense anyway, so I'll give it a Fair pass. enough. But th- then they're attacked by invisible spider droids who blow up the mountain. And then Yoda and Padme, I'm not sure what Yoda and Padme are doing together, but okay, they're, they're rerouted to go save her. Um, and <laughs> they kill everybody and save them. It's pretty. It's pretty simple. Um, it's kind of fun. I just like watching Yoda. I think he, like when he has his little grumpy game face is really cute. And I like the moments where he's where he's standing still and his arm is like moving all really fast, deflecting all the lightsabers. Just the way he jumps and hops about. It, it, I think he's the one where I think this, this style is uh, the least offensive with because he already. We already know he is so powerful. We know that he has to be really agile to make it for his size. I think this the whole style of the action in this show, I think, makes the most sense with his character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, part of this is probably just because I've grown to love him as the character over the course of the CGI one. But I, I really do like um, Tom Kane as Yoda. Like most of the cast for the Clone Wars, it's like it's not a direct one-to-one perfect um, impression but they kind of they capture the character really really well and so i i like all of his lines and yeah there's a great kind of sense sense of kindliness about him that uh you have in the vocal performance and uh <laughs> i don't know if this is to you but padme is distractingly cute i don't know what something about his eyes she's like very very cute in her um I, I do like her her snow outfit she's very very good looking it, it does kind of feel like those old school, like with the huge eyes, it feels like almost like an old school Disney kind of design. Mm-hmm. And they do bring back the love theme a couple of moments, like the where, where he's flying by her, her balcony and he kind of waves and the love scene comes in or in season three, when they meet in the underworld, I think and kind of, and when they hug uh, Williams love theme comes in, I think it actually is, it, it is quite touching. Yeah, that that is another like positive I really have with this. I think the the way they use the the themes from the film is really good here. Like, uh, I've seen animated adaptations of other materials before, and it just feels like they know that they have the entire library of music behind them, and they just throw themes at random. But this felt this felt very intentional of when to use what theme where. Uh, so yeah, I. I like with the trade federation, the trade federation theme, the the love theme, uh, even at the very beginning of Obi Wan overlooking the uh, 
the creation of the army. It feels re- like just like musically, like we're hot off the heels of Attack of the Clones. Another cool callback, uh, going back to the Avengers duel, is when he does when he does pull the lightsaber over and he's lit in red. The duel of the fates comes in. Oh yeah, that was and really great. It's just it's just as effective as well. So yeah, great great use of music. And then the fi- the final story of the season uh, two is Grievous stalking uh, the Jedi. Basically, I kind of like coming just coming onto this battle that's obviously already lost, and this, the Jedi are all torn and tattered and exhausted, and all the clones are dead, and they're hiding inside this crash Republic ship. And the, we hear Grievous kind of calls out to them, and then we just hear the steps over and over and over just gets into your head and it actually is kind of disturbing and terrifying and i i do see why Sha- uh, see why shaggy panics it really is pretty disturbing and then the way he just stalks around them and kind of kills them off one by one is is, is pretty cool um, i i don't like how powerful they make him as the show goes on it just gets to where like he could he where he's fighting like four jedi at once and he's killing and he's defeating them that kind of annoys me but, but i think this introduction where he's kind of taking them out one at a time is is really really uh, impressive. Yeah, you know, in retrospect, this character doesn't really. This isn't the same character of Revenge of the Sith, and I kind of am sympathetic because having never watched it, I I knew that there was an argument of people. There's a lot of people who are disappointed with General Grievous, and it, you know, as a fan of Revenge of the Sith, I was always like, oh, I loved him, but watching this. I completely understand how people would watch this show that's very much intended to hype you up for three and you go into that and thinking, whoa, this is not what he was like in the show. So I do, I get that now because this is a really cool version of the character. Um, him like calling out to them, like the quote you said at the very beginning, like just saying like, make peace with the force. Like is mm-hmm. there's just such a... It, we're we're coming into the very end of whatever this was and instantly like there's just this sense of survival and like just just desperateness like it's people clinging to, like trying to cling to hope and they're all terrified and you know it feels like every one of these people are about to die and the way he like slowly you know you hear his footsteps and then he's able to like crawl through the ceiling and clean himself like a bat upside down. Like it's such a cool visual for the character and the way he moves. Um, I wish that the film would actually bring, would have brought in some of his fighting style. I love it when he like, he stands on his hands and he's like using his feet to hold the sabers and he's just like moving all around that way. Like, and then spinning his entire torso around. Like there's a lot of cool stuff they do with him here with it. The action feels toned down and slow enough to where you can really like make out what's going on and uh that whole sequence is really cool um and then <laughs> moving to season three i really i think the opening is a lot of fun where you have this uh separate channel, like you know i don't take a hundred jedi to take this place a thousand jedi <laughs> is it a jedi <laughs> if you see his eyes constantly twitching yeah so he's fun i, I kind of wish we saw more of him but yeah and they uh it's weird it feels like they treat the droids like kind of Similar to how they treat the clones, where it's just their their delivery is so quick and to the point that it's really comedic. Where he's just, you know, fifty, no, like twenty, no, how many, two, <laughs> like it's just it's so 
the the quick delivery and matter of fact way they say things like it's different from the movies, but it does kind of work here, and it's it's pretty fun. Yeah. So yeah, it opens up with, and then opens with the, the the clone troops go and rescue the Jedi, and Obi Wan and Anakin are having World War One trench warfare <laughs> on Bombus Cori Four. I don't. I don't understand what we saw, but okay, that happens. And Anakin eats bugs. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I do, I do like grumpy Obi-Wan, though. The the bug eating there was a bit much to me. And we haven't mentioned it, but I really hate the voice actor for Anakin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's blander than Hayden Christensen in Tyler Clones. He's like completely flat, zero inflection for the entire... Every line he says is exactly the same as monotonous can be. Yeah. But I do like that scene, like, of him coming up, like, it is very much like that World War, like, trench warfare feeling. Uh, But it's a cool visual to me, and it's, like, it's a cool way to show, like, the way time had passed. Um, They're they're bunkered down here, and I I do like coming into battles, like, already being waged, and so... Anakin's return. Wait, I thought you were just complaining earlier that you don't know where the battle, what the battles are doing, previously. <laughs> well, so long, like whatever. At least with very isolated moments, I'm more okay with it. Like with the grievous thing going there, we don't really have to understand the context of that because that situation is what's being highlighted. With like the things on Mulinus at the very beginning, like the entire point of that was this battle. It's this huge war being waged and I don't know why (laughs) what's happening or anything. But here, you know, and it almost just feels like a way to, like it it feels like a prologue for season three, like to establish their new dynamic with each other. You know, I mean, Revenge of the Sith kind of does it. You get that opening crawl, but really we, this is what tells us like how he was kidnapped and everything that happened before it but you know it begins halfway through an already happening conflict but i just it's cool to me to just going directly into season three like we're down in the trench with obi-wan waiting on anakin to return and they're coming up with this plan like it's a it's a cool way to start off this season to me yeah oh but one one moment part we missed was uh the scene i think the opening of uh also, somewhere in the opening, I think of the first episode, where he's going through the underworld and he meets with Padme. I did like that they're highlighting how difficult it must be to have this secret marriage where, you know, it, it, like life is taking them both in completely opposite directions, but they're trying to steal these moments in secret. I think it's, it's pretty cool to see. Um, and then the initiation, I, I love where he's kind of he's led into a dark room and then all the Jedi surround him, light, light their lightsabers and Yoda kind of knights him and flicks off his uh stupid little rat tail thing it's just like really i love that i love like the quick like that that's the visual to say and that he would send that to padme and i i love the touch that she puts it with the locket from episode one it's like that's really cool yeah the 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 relationship they establish here like they only have like two no they only have one scene together but they establish it really well some really uh touching moments but yeah, I, I do love just how mysterious and powerful that initiation ceremony feels. Oh, so, so just about the scene of them meeting, is it just me or like, was the reveal of C-3PO's gold plating like super awkward? I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> That's where my mind went. Like it was this really like oddly seductive way. Like the shoulders go back, torso out, like it's just such a, even the music is, uh, 
not at all relevant to the bigger picture of what's going on <laughs> in this series, but just such an odd moment. Yeah. I, I'm sure it was absolutely intentional, but I don't know why they decided that was the direction they decided to go in this animated kids show. Um, yeah. So the, the, the final two arcs are kind of happening side by side. One is Anakin and Obi-Wan on uh, Nelvin, and they're trying to find the missing warriors, and then the the full-scale assault on Coruscant. I do... what I, I'm kind of iffy overall on the, on the, on the uh, Nelvin arc, but I do love the notion that since Anakin was rushed into becoming a Jedi, that the Force is now stepping in and creating a circumstance where he has to complete his trials. Uh, that, that's just a really cool notion, and giving the Force a level of agency that we don't even see in the first two prequels. Like, in the prequels, like, they are introducing the, the, the notion of actual will and agency within the Force... And here they take it to an entirely another level. I said that the force is literally creating events and guiding him to a place to where he can, you know, he can complete this task that he was unable to do before. I think that's really cool. And then the the journey into the cave where he sees the um he, the vision of the cave paintings where the warrior what you know has his hand cut off very similarly, and he's given the power to protect his people. But then it slowly grows bigger and bigger until it consumes him and it consumes all his enemies and all his loved ones as well. And they're very prophetic about what happens later on. And it's all told in this really cool cave art with no dialogue. And I think it's really interesting and a fun way to visualize it. It's very similar to what they do later on in the CGI Clone Wars and on the Mortis trilogy. But I do, I do really like that, that moment in the cave. Yeah, that was really cool, and it reminded me of the same thing. Like whenever the, the CGI one allowed itself to get a little bit more mystical, like that from time to time, and um, I like moments like that sprinkled throughout Star Wars. You know, I don't want it to be like this super weird mystical type thing all the time, but when we have moments to just really get weird like that, I think that's what makes it more effective. Uh, and another thing that you mentioned, you know, just the way the Force is creating these trials. Something that I liked about that whole idea was also it gave us another look at like the decision making of the Jedi Council and the fact that they were divided on it. Of you know, one says you know this is a different time. We we haven't really experienced anything like this, and I I would say that what Anakin's been through absolutely is a is a substitution for the trials. And then I think it was Kiari Mundai who's who's saying like no, like we cannot abandon our sacred tradition. Like to see that debate about whether you know you can make like is it almost sacrilege to make a, a substitution like this and little moments like that are cool to see and they're being pressured by palpatine to you know to push anakin faster than he should be going um and i do i do like little touches here that she in that show the how the jedi are now becoming much more political and and basically, you know, the police force for the Republic, and they're, they're losing their independence. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's explored a lot more deeply later on, but I do love the touches they put here. And the, the rest of that the arc, I could completely do without. Just the, the Na'vi is... Obviously, they didn't steal this design from Avatar, and I don't think James Cameron stole his design for the Na'vi from this animated show, but they are, they are very distractingly similar to the, the Na'vi from uh, Avatar. The, the natives from from uh, Nelvin, but you know he goes. He has to find 
the uh, the lost people, and he goes in this really weird like horror thing where the techno union is creating gigantic mutant moles with guns in their hands, and then he frees them, and then they turn on everybody, and it's 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 just it it's not a bad story. It just doesn't feel like Star Wars to me. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on it because, like you said, it it feels very different from what we know of Star Wars. But at the same time, I kind of like when we get different feels. And I like some of the stuff in there, like, especially the end with his hand being gone and, like, they remove their metallic arm thing. Like, that was a really cool gesture to me. Oh, and he crushes the last guy with without his hand. Yeah, that was... He reaches out with, with a hand gone and just, like, crushes his uh, mechanical body. You really see Anakin becoming, like, the powerful Jedi everyone talks about him being. Uh, and then the ending, like, I just... The ending is really bittersweet and like surprisingly touching to me the fact that they come back all deformed and grotesque and there's just like this moment of like just shame almost and depression over the these like mole rat looking creatures now and they were able to get that with just this you know like like we keep saying 2d animation they were able to convey a lot and then the one child comes out and is like totally accepting of it. And now we have like this, this like merger back where they're, they're being accepted despite looking like this. It's, it's very quick, but I, I, I really like the resolution to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I like the things that happen. It just, it just feels so kind of out of the blue and different. And not, I don't know. Again, like you said, like I like, I like that they do different things, but here's just, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just too, too different. <laughs> and then there's the uh, separatist attack on the Capitol. And this is more just full tilt action and kind of all the same. There are fun moments like with, um, like we'll take the right flank. What about the left flank? The Jedi have the left flank and you just have, uh, uh, Mace Windu and Yoda out there together kind of back to back it's this fun moment for him it's so stupid but, but piloting the uh the vulture droid with the wires and, <laughs> and he just uh, kind of looks and waves at the uh pilots oh but, oh and uh, the the uh when the um i forget the jedi's name with the, the big bullhorns where he their ship is destroyed and they jump out across space on top of the um the separatist ship and take it and commandeer it that's a really cool visual um yeah that moment is one of the moments from like man i really wish we could have seen this in like a live like just imagining these really cool sweeping angles of like almost an entire army's worth of clones just jumping from one ship to the other it looks super cool but the main story is the grievous going to kidnap uh chancellor palpatine and with shock t and i don't know the other guy's names but um there's the the i don't even know how to describe it the guy, the guy with the, who yells and destroys everything. I don't even, I don't even know. Like, how do you visually describe that? <laughs> There's no point of reference. But I, I like him. I like how he fights. He has like a really disciplined fencing pose. The way he he fights with his lightsaber. And um, there are two others. I forget who they were. But yeah. And here, this is where Grievous just becomes like all powerful. Like he's in a room surrounded by twenty clones, and somehow he kills them all while they're all constantly firing at him. And he's not blocking any laser blasts. And then he comes out and he's just like pursuing them. And they, they keep going from place to place. And he's still 
following them. And the, like, you have times where like all four of them are fighting him at once. And somehow this guy who doesn't have the force is able to fight off four trained Jedi with the force. It's just, it doesn't really make sense in the context of this world. And the fact that, and the, what really bothers me is the, in the end, they get on a rocket ship and travel like five minutes, miles across the the city. And somehow, even though he was very distinctly where they left him, he somehow gets there before them. It doesn't make any sense. Like just, he's so overpowered at first. It's scary, but afterwards you're like, whatever you're the movie's not, the movie has no rules. So I don't really care. Yeah. And I think, so you have that moment of Dooku training him, which I thought was really cool. Like I love seeing him and like Dooku taking note of his trophies he's collecting, but he's force pushing him. He's like tripping him up and he's, he's taking his saber. And I understand that Dooku, like that we're meant to believe Dooku is this incredible, especially following the end of Attack of the Clones, Dooku is an incredibly powerful Jedi. But it doesn't take an incredibly powerful Jedi to use like force push and to manipulate objects. And the fact that Grievous goes or through... Force crush his chest. Um, <laughs> exactly. For a random uh, example. So just like the fact that Grievous goes through so many action scenes in this series and the Jedi other than like Dooku and Windu at the very end never use the force against it. Like literally trip him, trip him. What, what, what are you doing? Um, yeah. And it's, I don't know. It just feels like you said, like you, the, there's no more tension. You, you reach the point of diminishing returns where it's like, Oh, Oh, like they thought they got away, but he's still there. Let's do this four more times. And what's annoying with the, the room full of clones where he kills them all is it's like, you don't even have to do this. Like with him, with a movie, I get it. You know, if you're filming one person taking on a bunch, it's tough to like try to choreograph that where everybody's doing something. And so you have moments like in The Dark Knight Rises where you got like henchmen literally waiting to be punched by Batman. But here, if you look in the background, there's literally just clones staying around looking, doing absolutely nothing. And so like, of course, it's not difficult to kill them all because they're not doing anything. You're just swishing your arms around killing everybody. It's, it's not an exciting action scene. Um, and then just really quickly about the way this whole thing kicks off. Did you not like, did you find the way the invasion happened kind of <laughs> unintentionally comedic where like Yoda's just there peaceful and he's like, wait a second. And he pulls down the blinds and like, there's this massive, huge descending army and like just one line mace when it comes up, we're under attack. <laughs> it's just like, it's just so random. Very um, cartoonish. Yeah. Um, and then, and then another moment where the, just the force becomes ridiculous is when Yoda is literally throwing these giant um, Federation transports around in the sky and like picking up hundreds of droidicas and throwing them. It's just like there's there's when you show yourself to be that powerful, there's no excuse for when like you lose later on or or the fact that one single robot could take on four Jedi. <laughs> yeah. It bothers me if you can't yeah, Because at that point, you're not only internally inconsistent with the series at large, with this, which this micro series very much is. Like, there's this, it's, to me, I was glad whenever it was made non-canon just because of, the, like, me wanting everything to line up like that. Like, this is incompatible mm. with that. But it's not even really internally consistent with itself. Uh, moments like that. Yeah. All right. So that's pretty much the story. Um 
one thing I do want to talk about is, is uh, what parts from this, and we, we've covered this a little bit, but seeing as this isn't canon, but I wanted to talk about it because I did like parts of it, what, what parts would you want to remain canon? Like, are there elements that you think are valuable to the Star Wars mythology and story? Um, yeah, I, I think we probably share a lot of those moments. Um, I would love, because when we meet Ventress in the CGI one, it seems that like they've already met. So we don't really get mm-hmm. an introduction to her there. I would love it if they could just recreate this in CGI as like a canon introduction and then just imply that she didn't die from the fall. Uh, because that whole fight on Yavin 4 is just so cool. Um, I'd love to to see Anakin's initiation. Because again, you know, we start with him like the, the Revenge of the Sith attire, long hair in the Clone Wars. I, w- I would love it if we were able to start off with him still looking very Attack of the Clones and and see, you know, the rat tail cut off visually because that's a, just a cool image. Um, so, yeah, like, things like that. And then I guess the last thing that would come to my mind is I, I really do love that this ends directly leading into Revenge of, the, uh, Revenge of the Sith. I think the reason that the CGI one didn't do that is because it was uh, canceled before they were really finished. Like, they still had, apparently... There's numerous episodes beyond just the the season six that we got. Yeah, I think at least three seasons were were like storyboarded. Yeah, like there's you can watch like animatic episodes. And, and so, unfortunately, they weren't able to lead into Revenge of the Sith like they very well may have planned to. Uh, but I I'd, I'd love to be able to see. Obviously, I would change a lot of things about the way the Battle of Coruscant was portrayed here. But I I would think it'd be cool to to see this very direct adaptation of the opening crawling in there. So, you know, if we start the series off the way this one did, where Anakin still very much is Attack of the Clone self, trying to prove himself at the outset of the war, and then ended it as a lead into Revenge of the Sith, it'd be a really cool, like, Attack of the Clones, Clone Wars, Revenge of the Sith, like, watching it all seamlessly uh, would be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. If, if you literally ha- you had it ended with him being initiated... Then like season three is what the Clone Wars is. The, the Clone Wars CGI series is. Yeah, but I I, I think the the one part that I I, I kind I don't want to lose from the Star Wars canon is the fact the idea of Palpatine and Dooku creating basically a Sith as an expendable tool, like making her these promises and you know telling her, and creating this person, but really having absolutely no plans for her. Like she is literally there to hopefully be killed by Anakin. They, they, they want her to fight Anakin and die. That's what they want of her. And that actually makes a lot of sense considering how they treat her in the CGI Clone Wars series. Like, if this is your headcanon watching that, it makes total sense how she is later on used if this is the mindset they, they initially uh, created her with. And, just, uh, and again, that's another beautiful illustration of Palpatine's planning. He literally, like, that would have had to take months of preparation of creating her, then making sure the Jedi, basically forcing the Jedi into putting Anakin into this one geographical location to where he could be lured out by himself and, um, and basically tested to see if he is powerful enough to become their next apprentice. I like that. I just wish that was what this show was really about. Yeah. I, it's, I think we've pretty much covered this. Um, Obviously, I, I don't really, can really do star ratings or ranking, but I guess just what are your closing thoughts with this series? I'm glad it's made. I think it's just another cool 
Like, I can enjoy it the way I would a lot of other things that have been made non-canon. I think visually, some of it I'm not a huge fan of, but because I love Samurai Jack and I, I love a lot of, of the way his art style is, like, I do like a lot of moments. And honestly, there are moments like... Not even moments, just like the the, the story of Asajj being created to attack Anakin and Anakin's initial duel and meeting with her and his initiation and things like that. Like, I kind of... I'm going to have that, like, as my headcanon now. Like, that's mm -hmm. how I'm, I may view these things. Because I think it... And it works surprisingly well with what is canon now. And so, I really... I don't have the same amount of love for this that it seems a lot of people do. Um, I, I just am not a fan of the over-the-top action. I think, visually, this is just, from the ground up, incompatible with Star Wars. Um... But again, just as this Elseworld little kind of non-canon entity to consume, there's I think there's still enough fun to be had there um, to warrant you know rewatches every now and then. Yeah, I guess again, you know, going back to what I said is that this I'm not really the person who this kind of series is intended for, and now I freely admit that I'm a story guy. I I I watched. I love Star Wars because I can follow the story and you know, dig into the themes and narr the narrative and follow the character arcs. This series has very little of that. And when it's all just action, any kind of analysis just becomes, oh, that moment was kind of cool. That moment was kind of cool. And basically that's why the, 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 this, this series' one guiding principle is the rule of cool. If it looks awesome, we'll do it. And that just doesn't appeal to me much as a, you know, as a story, as a, Again, it's not a story, but you know, at, for what what draws me into film is story, and when you don't really have that, I, I just I very quickly disconnect. But yeah, you get as a three minute uh, micro series that leading into Rent of the Sand, I think it's very successful, and people love it. So don't listen to me. <laughs> so as far as the reception, it got it was very widely acclaimed it won two emmys for outstanding animated program as well as an emmy for outstanding individual achievement in animation it also won the an annie for best uh, animated television production and it's, it's ranked 21 on ign's top 100 animated series of all time that's that's pretty crazy so yeah people people love this show i i, I remember over the years like th this gets mentioned i mean for the kind of show this is, you would think it would have been would have been quickly forgotten, but it definitely left an impact on people. And I see, like even today, I'll see people here and there mentioning and talking about how much they love it. And a lot of the people love this more than the um, the CGI series, which I can't cannot comprehend. Yeah, that, why someone that would like that. But I, I guess people just like just enjoy watching the action, and it's, I guess good for them. So yeah, it, I, I, I'm definitely aware that I am in the minority, and people people really like this show. So hey, any uh, final any closing words about this show? Are you ready? To, you think you're ready to wrap it up? Yeah, I think I'm I'm ready to wrap it up. All of this has just really gotten me excited about what is my Clone Wars series. So that's what I'm excited <laughs> yeah, about. Same here. All right. So again, um, actually, I, I probably should not ask anyone to rate and review us. <laughs> this episode so if you didn't like this go listen to our other shows we're, we're much more positive on our other episodes 
Um, so if you want to like, if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're there as at Franchised Pod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And next week is something I really want to discuss. And that is season one of the CGI Clone Wars animated series. Yes, I, I've been looking forward to this ever since we started this podcast. So we will be going through it in chronological order. Um, the series was aired out of out of order. They released basically, especially season one, especially is an absolute mess with with the release order. So if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it, uh, just Google Clone Wars chronological order, and there are there are a bunch of graphics around that, that show you each episode and what and where they should be watching and what kind of order and where you should watch the movie and that. And so yeah, if you haven't had a chance yet just go do that and please don't don't watch it in release order because it makes absolutely no sense yeah like you i i've really been looking forward to this i my like my personal love for this series matches my love for the movies like it's this isn't like this little animated show that's kind of a supplemental material to it like i view this as just important as any of the episodes so Yes. I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, so yeah, next week's episode we'll cover season one, the Clone Wars movie, as well as several episodes from like season two and three that are chronologically happen in that order. Yeah, and the the whole show, including the movie, is all on Netflix. So go check it out. No excuses. <laughs> so until next week, we will see you in the next season. Because I guess it's not a sequel now. Come Padawan, your fall will be my ascension to the Sith.